So today on the New How podcast, I'm excited to have Jen Petrino. Jen, welcome. Thank you. Jen, I was looking back at uh, my email prior to this. I go, I haven't seen Jen in a while. You know, we had a global crisis of a pandemic. <laughs> uh, we've all grown up more. I look back at my email. It said May 23rd, 2016. It's nearly seven and a half years ago is when yep. we first met Crazy. in this glorious city of Philadelphia. Um, for those of you listening, a little background to Jen through my uh, research. Uh, Jen went to San Jose State. She has a double major in history and philosophy, minors in applied mathematics, physics, and computer science, and she does real estate development. <laughs> uh, she today is president of Tierview Development, and she oversees a portfolio of several hundred thousand square feet of real estate in hopefully, I think, multiple markets or some markets, but we'll get into that a little bit. Um, and, I, and I was looking back, I'm like, Jen, what do I remember first about when I met Jen? And I remember you were going back and forth across the U.S. on a plane almost, I think it was weekly or biweekly. Yep. But I remember you said something that stuck with me even till this day. You're like, yeah, I, I like reading the Philadelphia zoning code on my airline travels yep. while I'm going back and forth. And I was like, wow. <laughs> so what did I miss? What did I what did I not tell the audience that? Oh, you're, God. You um, let's see. Um, well, I mean, you hit a lot of the high notes. So um, from California, um, started tier view, our joint tier view in 2013. So we've been doing deals here in Philly for over 10 years now, which is a crazy thing to think about. Um, and even more crazy is I started in construction originally in 2003, so I'm celebrating 20 years. Wow, and it, and it started construction, what were you doing for that? I'm just Back kidding. in the day, I started in construction just by answering phone calls. Um, I was dating a guy at the time who was mm -hmm. working at a construction company and phone was ringing off the hook. <laughs> he begged me to come in. Please start answering this Please for me. answer these phones. Um, and and that's that's how I got my start. So so you, you grew up in California, then you do what everyone else doesn't want to do. You go, oh, I got to go to Philadelphia. Why Philadelphia? What? Why would you leave California and, and look at Philadelphia real estate you know, market? I, it makes me so sad how often <laughs> I get that question uh, because it's typically the first question that I get asked. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I'll say on the first part, I knew I was never chill enough to be a Californian and I was always meant to be an East Coaster. Um, and then I always thought I'd end up in New York because that's where we go, mm -hmm. I guess. Um, and then I had the opportunity to come to Philly instead, and I grabbed it with both hands yeah. and never. You usually have a layover in Philly to head to Laguardia exactly, or something, right? Exactly. Like... No, I'd never been to Philly before. I came here for the real estate, mm -hmm. um, and came here for the opportunity, and uh, never looked back. So, so you say you came here for the real estate. What What did you notice back in, I guess, what 2013? Now, what did you notice in 2013 about Philadelphia real estate that made you like, I I gotta leave California and I gotta never look back. Well, I mean, so 2013, so we chose this market back in 2012, actually. Mm -hmm. um, and, and back in 2012, we're recovering from the global financial mm -hmm. crisis. Um, and we started Tierview doing flips in Oakland, California, um, doing some value add work in Austin, Texas, and then doing adaptive reuse projects here in Philadelphia. So we started with three markets, but we started doing very, very different things in three different markets. And I saw that we were doing flips, yeah. single family flips in Oakland, California for what we were doing adaptive reuse projects, eight to 10 unit adaptive reuse projects here in Philadelphia. Mm -hmm. That's a and, pretty easy. And, and a similar market, Oakland, California back in 2012 was very oh. comparable to Kensington market, oh, right? Yeah. Like what yeah. it is today. So no, um, Oakland, California definitely had a lot of the same challenges that mm -hmm. Philadelphia did. But I, 
just saw that Philly had a lot of room to grow, and it also seemed like a market that um, you know was less crowded with other mm-hmm. people trying to get into real estate. Um, and like I said, I always wanted to end up here anyway. So. Yeah. And then talk to me a little bit about you know how you got started. You know, you said you were answering phone calls for construction for for an ex boyfriend. Uh, you know, you're getting into it. I guess you're making relationships with contractors. Like, how do you go to? I'm going to start buying houses and flipping. Like, what was? Talk to me about that transition. Um. Well, uh, let's see. I spent ten years doing a bunch of different things in construction. Um. So it was everything from um, working within some contractors, answering phones. Um, project management, putting bids together. Um, I, I was I actually did a little bit of general contracting myself mm-hmm. uh, before I left California. And then the transition that I saw was really just going from building for the general public to building for myself, yep. which is really what development That's is. That's the goal for every contract. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> so um, that was a really easy jump mm-hmm. for me. And, and frankly, one I was excited to make, so. Yep. And... Um, one question, I guess, I always say, I ask at different points of the podcast. When did you make like your first hundred k starting your business? Like, was there a was there a distinct time that you remember going like, wow, I did a project, and it doesn't have to be a hundred, but it's like substantial where you felt like you had a salary for the year that you made yourself? Yeah, um, you know, so <laughs> development's a cash port business, it is. right? You it know, is. it's it, uh, so I wish I could talk about um, the the buckets of cash yeah. coming off of the projects, but um, we're long-term hold, so we don't sell anything. And that's mm-hmm. typically when a lot of developers make their money. Yep. Um, but the moment that I had where I was sort of like, huh, I did a thing. Mm-hmm. I remember I was walking through our first big building that we built ground up and it was a 50 unit building. Yep. And I happened to be alone in the building at the end of the day, it was dark, it was perfectly silent and we had, just gone through our final internal walkthrough and we we're going for a CEO within the next couple of days and I had the building to myself and I was like, wow. I'm gonna blue tape everything. Yeah. <laughs> well, it was it was just such a great feeling and it was a feeling of, of accomplishment. But um, I, I will say I judge my success by the quality of my wardrobe. Yeah. Um, and I like that. I, I'm very pleased with my wardrobe these yeah. days, so. Yeah, I, I, one thing you touched on I think a lot of people don't understand is you know, real estate development is, you know, you're, you're asset rich and cash poor. 100%. And, it, you know, you, you make money on maybe some, you know, cash flowing projects, especially in today's market, investors are lucky to get out alive on some of these jobs or call their, you know, limited partners for more capital to try yeah. to just keep it going or taking bridge loans. But I, I think, you know, when you see like the neighborhoods, they come after these developers thinking they're these money grab people, the money grab isn't for decades later sometimes. Yeah. Or 10, 10, five years at the minimum usually. And I think if if the general public understood, I also think there might be some better working relationships between developers and the community themselves, but. Yeah, no, I I think you're hitting on the nail on the head on one of the relationships that I think is probably most broken is the relationship between the the neighborhood and the developer. But um, yeah, I mean, we've we've got a lot of people in line ahead of us Mm -hmm. before we really see anything. Yeah, we're the last ones paid. Absolutely. And sometimes we don't get paid, and we're we're, <laughs> we're hopeful that maybe our kids or kid their kids will someday will get paid from it. But, Absolutely. Um, yep. When did you know that entrepreneurship was your thing? You know, you're answering phone calls for somebody else. How do you go to president of Tierview Capital? Like, what what was it in you that you're like, I got to do this? Um, I realized I was a really shitty employee. Um, <laughs> 
And I, like uh, I so part of the reason why were I you was, working from home back in 2013 too? Um, well, 2013 I was flying back and forth yeah. between California and, and Philly, but um, no, I, 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 the experience that I had, you know, I had had jobs since I was, you know, 16, 17 mm-hmm. years old, and I just consistently saw that other people weren't doing things the way that I would do them, and mm-hmm. obviously as a 17 year old, that's yeah. that's you know, you, you've got it all figured out. So, um, yeah, I, I just realized I was way too nosy and way too bossy to let yeah, other people You're like people looking at things. something and you go, wow, I could have done that in a quarter of the time if this process was just this way. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it was a combination of process. It was mm-hmm. a combination of um, it, common sense mm-hmm. a lot of the times. So I, I just saw things being done in really large corporate organizations that I thought was really silly. And then mm-hmm. I saw other things being done in really small organizations that were going to handicap the business over the long term. Did you have any, you know, like growing up, did your parents own business? Like, because usually I, I find, you know, because I get asked, I'll do speaking engagements, like, how, how do you do this? Like, what do you, you know, obviously there's majors in entrepreneurship, but I usually find when I talk to other business owners, like they did something when they were like way younger that like, like ingrained in them, like this spirit. Like I, like I look like I, like it's easy to look back and connect the dots sure. these days. Right. But like, I, I look back, like when I was like 10, 11 years old, I was like slinging these gaming servers and playing video games professionally, like way before it was cool. as like a, a nerd. Yeah. Right? Like, no. Is there anything that you look back on now and you're like, yeah, I was really an entrepreneur here at this point? You know, it's a really interesting question that I've never actually thought of. Um, And I think the answer is probably not. Um, Both my parents were IBMers Mm -hmm. really, really early on. Um, I was really lucky that I grew up in a household where my dad was a dreamer and my mom was a get it doneer. Okay. And I had So you had the visionary and integrator right there in the household. Yep, All right. Exactly. Yep. Exactly. So um and my dad raised me in this um, you know, learn from what I didn't do, which yep. he was the dreamer, but he wasn't the doer. Yep. Um and uh so I, I just learned to dream big and um you know, the big elephant in the room, obviously woman in a man's world, right? Mm-hmm. I, I never even questioned that. It was never even a part of my calculus yeah. um, that there was something that I couldn't do because I, I got lucky with my parents. They were yeah. great. Yeah, that's that's where I usually find it, it comes from. It's, it's literally your your environment that you're yeah. right. like it's like I don't think it's trained. I, I think I think at a certain point, like if you think you're going to become an entrepreneur, you, you've had 20 years of something that's gotten you to that point. Yeah. And, it, and I think it's a lot, you know, what you touch on the confidence that, sure. you know, you have so you have an older adult you're looking up to going, look, I did this wrong. I would have done it this way. Yeah. Like instilling that upon you. That's something that I think a lot of people don't get. Yeah, it's, no. It's, it's a shame. It's a lot about, you know, people have pieces of it, right? Mm-hmm. Like they have the curiosity, but they don't have the tenacity to get it done. Yeah. You know, they have the ability to like grind through the work, but maybe they don't have the vision, yeah. you know? And then luck plays a part too, right? You yeah. know, I, I I got really lucky I was in the right place at the right time to be given the opportunity to to take over a tier view. So, and, and, you know, you mentioned like reading zoning code on a plane. <laughs> I do not want to do that, but as a history and philosophy major, probably lots of reading you enjoy reading, right? Like, well, I, I mean, for me, when I first started doing deals here in Philly, I remember 
you know, the first place you go is you talk to brokers and yep. they say, oh, you can build 10 units here. And I'm like, no, you can't. Cool. Right. <laughs> and then I go to the architect and the architect says, no, it's yeah. eight or it's 12 or it's 14. And I'm like, okay, well, tell me where you're reading that and mm -hmm. how are you coming up with that? And I'm realizing that, wait a second, I can read this myself. <laughs> this isn't like tucked away in yep. some like sacred vault oh, that I can't get that to. That all the architects yeah, know. Exactly, yeah, exactly, exactly. So um, as soon as I realized that I had access to that um, and other developers weren't looking and yeah, were- they, they, Everyone has access to it. It's just a matter right. of wanting to do it. Well, but, <laughs> the tenacity, but, right? Like, go yeah, get it. But, but it, it also, nobody else was looking and it created an edge for us mm -hmm. Because and and I even I even still see it today. Um, in fact, it just happened to me last week where I was looking at a project and they'd even the broker had even had it reviewed by an architect and they had the wrong unit it count. Us, was it, it wasn't you. Of guys. course it wasn't. No, of course sure. it wasn't. All right, goes without saying. <laughs> that's that's uh, that's good. So you so you're and again um, like competitive edge when you're coming to this market. You were essentially doing what no one else was willing to do was not waiting for a third party to go in, but you were going in, understanding, learning how to be an architect or in a way, yeah. and using that knowledge to go find some great projects around the city. Yeah, no, I, I think that's a great way to say it. I, I think as I've done this for, you know, as long as I've done it, I've realized that the crux of being a good developer mm -hmm. is really um, quarterbacking the the project, right? So, um, and, and a bad developer, it lets other people take over. They don't understand what their role is. Yeah. So so my role isn't to be the architect. My role isn't to be the zoning attorney. Mm -hmm. My role is to, number one, bring the best people together, make sure they're communicating well, yep. and, and having a, a good idea of what the project should be. So if you let any one of those people kind of take over and run with it, if you have an architect who maybe isn't as in touch with construction, you could mm -hmm. end up with a project that's not Buildable, buildable, you know, that happens. That's how I get a lot of my clients. Exactly, exactly. So <laughs> yeah, it, it makes it's it's understanding the holistic approach, and I, I think you as a developer coming from your experience of you know answering phone calls at a construction office, like let alone I feel like anyone in this industry should have to go do that for a month as oh a my prerequisite, gosh. yeah, to like be able to build or do anything sure. or develop in the city. Um, to slowly working your way into a position to be part of a, an epic development company. Talk about. You're, so Philadelphia, are you in any other markets? Were you in any other markets? Like, because yes. your website says Austin, Texas. Yeah, I, I wrote yeah. that down here. No, so so let's see. I took over in 2013. Mm -hmm. So the partnership was originally in 2012. Yeah. And I took over in 2013, and I came on board simply to be a project manager for construction. Yeah. Um, and at that point in time, like I said, we had Oakland, California, Austin, Texas, and Philadelphia. So we still we no longer have any of the flips. Not surprisingly, from yeah. um, Oakland, California, but we still own a 26-unit project in Austin, Texas. Mm -hmm. um, that's been really fantastic to go out and visit every three to four months, mm -hmm. put my toe in another market, understand how other people do things, what's happening in Austin. That's a reflection of what could be happening here in Philly. So less um, regulation. Oh my goodness, so much less regulation, but double the property taxes. Double property taxes, but you know, you don't have overlays that screw oh. your project when you're about to get your building permits. Yes. No, 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 no overlays uh and gloriously. Yes, but um yeah, we we haven't been active in in any other markets for a while, which has been um 
good and bad, mm -hmm. I think. So it's allowed us to be fully focused on Philadelphia and understanding what the process is yeah. of getting things done here, um, which I think if you sort of spread yourself a little bit too thin, you lose that expertise. Yeah. Uh, but we're we're on the hunt, and I think we'll probably be showing up in a, at least one or two new markets in the next couple of years. No, that's great. I want to talk about the elephant in the room that everybody has in their room. Last, uh, it was funny, last episode, Brian Green talked about his dream was to own an elephant, which was really funny. That's but wonderful. We, we all have an elephant in our room today as developers, and it's, it's these interest rates that yeah. have doubled over the last year and a half, two years here that have you know caused homeowners having problems buying homes, caused us as developers having to go back to limited partners. It's also, I think, made us have to look at deals very differently. I was hoping maybe you could share some light on like what you're looking at in deals now that you weren't looking at in two years ago relating to the financial side of it to, sure. give, to give the listeners some insight there. Yeah, I, I mean, when the interest rate hikes were just one after another, yeah. boom, 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 right? Like I, I read 11 interest rate hikes in the last year, yeah, right? Sure. So crazy, fastest since the 80s, yep. um, wild. Um, and uh, when we were living in that world, the, the, the problem was how quickly are the rates going to go up mm -hmm. and how far up are they going to go, right? So where we're at right now, we're in, a, we're in a different place. So I was speaking with an investor the other day, and he said it wonderfully elegantly. He said the, the amplitude of how far the rates can go up from here is much lower than it was 12 months ago, yeah. right? So, so back 12 months ago when we were underwriting deals, it was well, we need to put a contingency in here, essentially on top of your interest reserve mm -hmm. of how how high could these interest rates go yeah. um, and stress testing our deals, you know, 150, 200 basis points mm -hmm. higher on the interest rate than we ever potentially thought was realistic before. And, and that was that was that was a baseline. Right. Um, it almost covered you. <laughs> It's yeah. Crazy. It's no, like, it was you know, testing at two at 200 basis points. You're like, oh, we're at three, four percent. Like, you can't go higher than 200 basis points. <laughs> no, I, I mean, it's like and and how much interest reserve yeah. do you need in a floating rate environment where you're buying your loan at four and a half percent and it's going to go up to 10 percent? Yeah. In, in the market today, I've been when I talk to people about it, I'm like, today is like it's all about it's a gladiator war. It's it's the gladiator wars between the LPs right now. It's like who's got the strongest LP gladiator in their corner that's just like here's another stack of hundreds. <laughs> here's another stack of hundreds because that's what these investors are having to do right now, right? Yeah. Like they have an interest reserve through construction, so doo -doo -doo, going on construction for 14, 16 months. All of a sudden, you get to the end, you're like. Well, we came in under budget, but there's no money left. What the hell what happened? Yeah. Well, yeah, your interest rate's been taken up every month, clearing yep. out that interest reserve. Yep. Like, well, now you got to put up another 100, 200 grand. It's, yeah. it's you know, that's on a small project. Yeah. The big ones, it's seven figures, some of them. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that it's, I mean, tracking your interest reserve, always <laughs> crucial. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it, when it catches you by surprise, I think it's the worst. Yep. You know, communicating to your investors as far in advance as possible of, hey, this is what we think is going to happen. Mm -hmm. um, I think we're actually in a great space in Philly because the rents have stayed solid. Yep. You know, um, concessions are through the roof across the city, which is, I mean, I, I saw a project when I was driving around that said, um, right around Broad and Fairmount, mm -hmm. that they're offering four months of yeah, free rent. Just to get people in. Just to get people in. Um, and, and we're just at, we're at, the, we're at the tip of the iceberg mm -hmm. on, on what this is gonna be for the next 12 months. Do you, do you think there's too many units coming online in Philly? 
I saw a wonderful chart on CoStar, um, and I was actually looking at it before I came today, um, and it was published in June, and it had a comparison between the number of units currently under construction versus the number of units currently starting. Mm -hmm. So we are at an all-time high on the number of units being constructed currently, and at a more than five-year low on the number of units starting. Correct. So, um, are we are we overbuilding temporarily, potentially? Um, if you compare what we're building right now to the long term needs of how much housing we need in Philly, we're actually still underbuilding. We are. Yeah. Um, but we we do have a bit of a glut coming. Yeah, I we've because uh, I have a client asked us like last last year we were responsible for seventeen percent of all the approved single multi. Oh my gosh! Congratulations. Yeah, it's it's wild. You're like you start doing you're like wait we did that many. <laughs> But we start looking at the data. We're, you know, obviously, you know, we're in other markets too. We're in five sure. markets in the, where we operate. But you know, you start looking at the projects. They're like, yeah, we're going to hold. We're not going to go through permits. We're going to yep. get this thing zoning approved. Yep. Let it sit because we still can't pencil the construction costs. Yeah. So I, I do think, to your point, there's a glut of over construction right now because, you know, but I am starting to get phone calls from contractors going, hey, do you know anyone that has projects upcoming? Because they're looking at their, you know nine month pipeline from yep. today and it's looking a little gruesome compared to what they're typically used to where there's so much that they can't handle it yeah so i definitely know and then from the permitting side of things um you know talking with other people in the bia and in the industry they're you know i'm i'm predicting in 24 that the permitting in the city of philadelphia is going to come to almost a screeching halt screeching halt yeah the the, the people down at l and i are going to be looking around going where's all the building permits that we're supposed to review well i, I mean they deserve a break they've they, had a they really hard a break. life but you know the city doesn't work that way, right? City's yeah. gonna work. Hey, where's sure. my building revenue coming yeah. in? And I can tell, you know, at least on my end, my investors that do, you know, the fifty to hundred unit projects, they're looking in other markets right sure. now because they're having trouble penciling those type of projects here in the city. Any the only stuff that's really penciling that I'm aware of is hundred unit plus stuff. Yeah. Because if you have a you know a twenty percent vacancy or thirty percent vacancy on that hundred unit, you're still making your payment. You do a 20-unit building and sure. have six, seven units that aren't rented, sure. you're barely covering your mortgage right now. Yeah. And that's 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 what I'm least the feedback I'm hearing from a lot of my clients are like, yeah, we love Philly, but you add on all this extra regulation, right? All these new overlays sure. that have been thrown into the mix, as I'm sure you've been you said oh 11 interest rate heights. I'm sure you can yeah. you know there's been 60 zoning over like regulations in the past three years here. What's yeah. that like what do we not want buildings anymore? Well, I mean, <laughs> Philly's had a, a love-hate relationship with building for a really yeah, long time. They have. But, I mean, I think what we're experiencing right now is the confluence of events. Like, everyone wants to talk about, okay, interest rates, mm -hmm. fine, whatever. But, you know, interest rates were insanely low before, so super cheap money. Then you had qualified opportunity zones, mm -hmm. and you had the change of the tax abatement. And all three of those things came together to this rush for permits. Yep. And now people are stepping back saying, well, can I actually build it? Yep. You know, um, did did the architect design something that I can mm -hmm. actually build? Those um, details look nice until you got to get the bid from the county. Exactly, exactly. So, <laughs> but I, I think all those things sort of came up to create a whole lot of stuff. And then now people are asking if they can actually get it done. And, and I think 
you know, the we're, we're still pushing ahead. We have projects that are anywhere. We have a 19-unit project that's currently under construction yep. all the way to a 120-unit project mm-hmm. currently under construction. And and we're set up specifically to try and fit that, like, 30 to 120-unit niche yep. um, that a lot of people aren't aren't really servicing that that little, that, that tranche. And, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I mean, it's... Uh, you, you stick to your underwriting guns and and you you swallow the fact that the interest rates are going to be high for a while mm-hmm. and you know we're in a place where construction costs are leveling off and uh, you know land prices are adjusting and it's all going to be okay. Yeah, but that's that's optimism, right? It's all I do believe it will settle out. I just don't know how long it's going to that yin yang sure. is going to be from yeah. the massive construction that's going yeah. on right now. But yeah, I think it's going to end up. I mean. As a developer, you have to be an optimist, right? Yeah, like you, your deals. Everybody's re- gonna explode. <laughs> <laughs> you have to count on growth in yeah. order for your deals to make sense. Mm-hmm. So it, the optimism's baked in. You just have to make sure you don't get overly optimistic, Over, right? Yeah, exactly. You're you're projecting sales prices that don't exist. Oh yeah. Or rentals that don't exist yet. Right. Exactly. Um, president of Tier V Development. What's been the biggest challenge today, like building the the structure of the business, right? Like, like maybe talk about how many employees you currently have, maybe some goals for what you're trying to set up. Yeah. You know, talk about some of the challenges from like the business operator side. Yeah. Wow. Um, way to start. Um, so, so we currently have a staff of 18, mm-hmm. um, and that includes property management and construction being in-house. And you have construction managers, essentially. As we that. yeah, we have an in-house construction team. Great. Yeah. Cool. So um, and uh, so we in-house maintenance, like everything. So that's that's the whole team, which we have a stabilized portfolio of about 400 units here in Philly, um, with another 600 units in construction or in the pipeline. Yep. So um, we're doing a lot with a pretty small amount of people. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we have a couple of job descriptions that are, we're out, we're actively hiring. So by the end of the year, we're looking- Who are you hiring? We'll shout it out. <laughs> what are you looking for? We'll just get a uh, Construction superintendent. We need some superintendents. She's paying a buck 75 Oh year. God, yeah, right? Um, no. I mean, we're 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 a tight team, yep. um, and I think we'll, we'll we'll try and keep it that way. But realistically, by the end of the year, we're looking at maybe a twenty-two person yep. staff, right? So um, six hundred more units to, through construction. It's that's not an easy feat. No, it, we we've got a lot on our plate for yep. sure. But as far as um, gosh, the growing pains. I, I think in and of itself, recognizing that growing pains would be constant, mm-hmm. that there was never going to be this place that you were going to get to of I've made it. It's smooth sailing from here. I get the business now. It's you hurdle know? after hurdle. People it's hurt. Walls, oh, right? like, oh. What, what, how many employees was the first wall for you, you think? Um, well, God, um, going from three to five. Yes. People, people think it's crazy. Like you get like at six people, it's a different business. You're like you're worried about payroll. Like it's a yeah. lot of like yeah. pieces. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you you went from a couple of people who can finish your sentences for mm-hmm. you, and everybody knows exactly what needs to get done. Yep. And there's no meetings. There's no coordination. It's just getting it done all the way to wait. I have to manage you. Yep. 
Like, um, and then now I think we're actually in the next transition where, where we're sort of transitioning from this small to medium where I now have to think about not just individuals communicating. I have to think about departments communicating. I have to think about property management and construction coordinating to make sure that the the handoff is done cleanly. Systems, processes, procedures. Oh yeah. Yeah. Like we, we spend like, that's exactly where we are, right? We're at 20, 25 and yep. uh, we're bringing on more, um, but it's, you know, you bring on that new employee now who's a new designer, you know, we have a standard of our schematic design packages that go out that like, you can't just be like, do the schematic design, make it look pretty. No, 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 like, here's the North era, right? Like it has yep. all the components to it yep. that you have to write down and document that process in order to go from 25 to 35 people. Yep. Because I, I mean, I made a mistake. I ran my business all the way up. I was at just about 35 people at one point pre-COVID and brought it back because you throw, you sh- COVID shake stuff up. You can't yeah. handle all that with not everyone having a system processes, managing those expectations properly. Yeah, no, so. I, I mean, we were one of the few organizations that I know of that didn't contract mm-hmm. over COVID. And I, I think that that's more of a statement of we were possibly too small going into COVID as opposed <laughs> to getting it right going into yeah. COVID. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, we've we've managed to do a lot with a small team and, and the transition points, those are the major ones, mm-hmm. but there's there every single year I sit down and write my strategic plan for the year, yeah. right? And, and not only do I write an annual strategic plan, but I take a step back and try and think, where do I want Tierview to be three years from now, five years are from now? Are you using any uh, software or program or like, are you running traction or any of these EOS programs? Yeah, so we we do use the traction system. Great. So we use the the, the Power Seven. Gino um, Wickman's the father I never had. Oh, nice. <laughs> um, I struggled to get through the book. If yep. I'm not being, if I'm being real honest, but um, it was that I like the system. Yeah. Um, and it's. Um, I sit in six traction meetings a week, by the way. D- oh my gosh. Yeah, I think I think <laughs> I might be close to that. Yeah. I think I may be three or four. Because yeah, you so, do apartments, you can yeah, run a micro. Exactly, but. exactly, yeah. So, and I've even got to the point where I have my business partner running in the Power 7 yep. format. So, um, and and it's been, it's been great, you know, rocks and all that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. But um, we, uh, we don't use the traction format for like the preferred future planning and things like that, which I don't think that they really have. It's, it's you look at a three year and a 10 year goal and you yeah. try to align it. Yeah. Because obviously other systems look ahead like that, but you know, at least if, uh, the great thing about that system is like, it forced you to look ahead. Most people are getting business and they're like, what am I doing next Friday, right? Yeah. Like some people forget that that's very important. Yeah. Right? Well, I think, you know, setting ourselves up for this long-term hold, mm-hmm. we always had to think about, well, we're selling our investors a 20-year investment. Of course. How are we actually going to be around in order to operate that investment? Yep. For the full 20 years. Um, so we we had, to, we had to really step back and think about that from the outset. Um, and that was... You know, certainly had its challenges, and and the number of you know little deaths of my business and what I thought it was going to be and what it is, it like it's innumerable. You want to go back to taking phone calls at uh, the construction company? Some days, <laughs> some, some days. We I all do. have those days. Yeah, and people for sure. should know that that is a real thing. If you're thinking like, oh, it's all roses and sunshine oh. and long walks on the beach as a business owner, like it's absolutely not that. It's yeah. it's a crazy blended uh, milkshake mix of like. <laughs> craziness like i can't even explain it's like extreme highs extreme lows everything in between but yeah um i think that that's what makes it fun for entrepreneurs and 
having sanity to deal with that because that's what I feel yeah. trips a lot of people up. Yeah, no, it, it, I, I used the word tenacity earlier, mm -hmm. and I think that that is one of the most crucial traits for, for people who want to be an entrepreneur. Yep. Is And that's not just tenacity of you know finding right business plan, finding the right industry. Yep. It, it's just getting through the day-to-day -day, because it's tough. Yep. Speaking of day-to-day, -day, I have another question here All for right. you. Uh, what is one piece of tech that you use every day that you couldn't do without? I mean, my cell phone. Cell? I, <laughs> okay, that's valid. That's valid I, no, well, I mean, uh, God, I think I just might have dated myself a little bit there, but um, your uh, Motorola. Yeah, uh, my flip phone, flip phone my razor. Slide, yeah, slide. yeah. Put snake on it during lunch. <laughs> exactly, yeah. exactly. Yep. Um, no, I mean, I, uh, I don't. I'm not super, super tech forward. I don't know that development necessarily requires it. Um, we're still doing most of our stuff with Excel spreadsheets yeah. for better or for worse. Do you, do, do you use any, like I use Evernote. That's one of my favorite ones yep. like, to organize yep. some of my thoughts, documents. Like do you use yep. any tech, like like anything like that to help you just stay ahead a little bit or you are you got filing cabinets at the office and I, I'm a I'm a post-it note person post it holy shit okay. oh no it's terrible I'm, it's terrible I showed you my office setup I'm just imagining <laughs> like no what I do green do, over here blue yeah oh god <laughs> I I I at one point in time I was a, a post-it note fiend yeah. but I've I've reined in my habit mm -hmm. um and uh what I do do pretty consistently a couple of times a week is I'll put together a post-it note and a post-it note prevents you from writing too much down. Mm -hmm. But I'll write down three to five things that I absolutely have to get done. Yep. Um, and I'll work off of that and then I'll throw it away. And that sensation of crumpling up that post-it note and throwing away is so, so relieving. So yeah. to totally worth it. The tactile sense of it is fantastic. The, um, I'm gonna just give a shout. We have no sponsors on this podcast. <laughs> My name is, this is a yeah. fresh season two podcast. <laughs> but I use um, I use a software, it's called InMotion. Mm -hmm. In They've been running Instagram ads for business owners for like the last year and a half. But essentially it's very post-it note based. Interesting. Where it's like you have a project, you apply tasks to it, and then it interconnects with your calendar so you can set priorities. You can have it auto schedule for you. You can have it auto schedule outside of work hours. Like, hey, yeah. I do this type of task on Sundays at from five to seven p.m. You add it in, it'll auto put it there in your calendar. Nice. And you can set timelines. So, because I have like you know undiagnosed ADD, I'm all over the place. But that allows me to like just keep my thoughts at like a post-it note. Yep. And. I do have, uh, I do use the Notes app in my phone yeah, yeah. robustly. Is there so. like subfolder structures? Like I, I use oh, it when. I don't know actually. I, I usually don't think just, so. I use it when someone's like tells me something like, oh, let me write that down. Yeah. Yeah, I've been trying to switch it to put it in Evernote, oh, but it's, it's yeah. not. Uh, no, I'm. I I just you know same similar to a Post-it note, um, and just making sure that I'm you know. If I promise someone I'm going to follow up on something, I'll put it in a notes folder. Is that a like big post-it note on your on your desktop? No, <laughs> I, I typically like those little things. Um, that's one of the things as an entrepreneur I've learned is um, if it's a small task, get it done immediately. Yeah. Don't don't let your brain lose it. Just get it done. Yeah. And and how to prioritize those things and you know how do you get through a hundred emails a day, two hundred emails a day is. Uh, select all, delete. Is usually what I do. <laughs> that's a beautiful that's, thing. That's kind of. No. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it, that in and of itself is the time management and and just those those quick things. Okay, we had a conversation. I promised you I'm going to follow up on something. I'll put that note in my notes folder, and then as soon as I get back to my desk, I'm yeah. trying to get that off my plate. Go back to. Let's take yourself back to yourself playing on your Motorola slide oh stylus phone. What's one thing you, you wish you could tell yourself back then that you know today? Um, 
oh god this is gonna sound terrible but okay. don't change a thing like hang in there it's gonna suck sometimes but you know the the ride's worth it and you know life is better than you ever thought it could be yep. so um definitely not without its bumps but well, Jen, I just want to say I had a lot of fun on this podcast. I learned a lot more about you. I think, uh, not only think, you you gave a lot of gems that I think, especially people in the Philadelphia marketplace, are going to take and hopefully feel better about their current situation because everyone's dealing with a lot of a lot of things in this marketplace. Um, but you know, thank you for coming on the My show pleasure. today. Absolutely. Um, one last, you get everyone gets one last parting sentence. I don't know if you have like a quote. Oh gosh. Like some anything. Uh, one last sentence to just you know maybe inspire those listening that are looking to start their own business or a real estate endeavor. Yeah. No. I guess it's just hang in there. Hang in there. You know, it's uh, it the, you know, every day is going to be a, a best day ever. Awesome, Jen. Thank you so My much. My pleasure. For thank show. you for having me. Yep. That's it.